Hey guys. Hey everybody. I'm Kelsey. And I am Chase. And this is Crime with a K. And we're watching the Argentina France game, so you might hear some cheering from Chase in the background. Yeah, I, I mean, I could care less for either one, but I would like to see Messi get his first one. Yeah. But it, yeah, we're in extra time now. <laughs> Surprise, you actually signed on to the sports announcement of the game. Yeah, so we'll let you know who wins, but you guys will already know. So. <laughs> well, anyways, hi, welcome back to another episode. So today is a continuation of Monday's episode, so we're kind of jumping into the smiley face killers theory which i didn't realize how hot that would be when i put that out there but you guys are really excited for this episode oh well i'm excited then because i still don't know anything about it yeah chase doesn't know anything about the smiley face killers no not one so this will be really good for someone like him who's hearing it for the first time because he'll probably ask a lot of the questions that you guys will ask or clarifications or have the same thoughts and theories and things like that so yeah without further ado let's jump into coffee of the day let's do it so I don't know, I have an Australian accent. My coffee of the day was, I've been kind of drinking the same coffee. We really haven't been going out just to get anything. And I'm trying to save all my money to go home to Massachusetts and use all like the different coffee shops there. But I'll use what I got last night. I got a caramel hot chocolate with marshmallows. Kind of coffee. Just kind of coffee. It was caffeine. good. It was good. And I got an apple strudel. Oh, you said it right. Strudel? Strudel. Yeah, no, strudel. Strudel. I ordered it wrong to the girl. (laughs) You said it wrong all night long. This is the first time you said it right. That's why I was so shocked. (laughs) I was like, excuse me, can I get an apple streusel? She she kept saying it throughout the show. She's like, yeah, I really want a hot chocolate and an apple streusel from this place. I'm like, oh, maybe it's like, (laughs) I've never heard of this before, but maybe that's that's why she wants it. (laughs) And then we're getting on and I'm looking at it. I'm like. That's strudel. That's like, uh, uh, she's like, strud, strud, what did you call it? It's streusel. A streusel. And she's like, yeah, can I have a, a apple streusel, please? And Chase goes, strudel. And I go, strudel. And the girl goes, I knew what you mean. You could call it George and I would know. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think you would. Can I get a, <laughs> can I get a apple George and some hot chocolate? <laughs> apple George. But we went to light the night or ignite the night. Something light, light the up, night. Light the night. <clears throat> in charlotte and it was really pretty and it was fun and now we're watching the fifa world cup so what's your coffee of the day because you are drinking one yeah um the d- double chocolate chocolate explosion coffee with peppermint <laughs> yes that's what he's having yeah the chocolate ex- i don't know how to i don't know how to death by it. chocolate death by chocolate that's the one i'm death having. by chocolate death by chocolate okay that's what i'm having with some peppermint mm-hmm. and it's all right it's good Kelsey heated up in the microwave and the, it was hot for about 15 minutes. So <laughs> it's a struggle. Before we jump into this case, so this is the last case that we're doing for you guys before Christmas. So just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. We'll say something at the end, but this will be the last case we put out before Christmas. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess safe travels. Mm-hmm. Hope you guys have a good time. Hope Santa sees you. I hope Santa's good to you. Yeah, no coal. Everyone was not naughty. I hope that's... Everyone had a good year, and we're excited for the new year. Mm-hmm. And be safe. So this case, this entire theory has really been with me since my junior year of college. So I was 21. So six years. And not only because of how strange everything that surrounded this theory and this particular case was that came out in 2016, but because of the photo that they used of this person. So Zachary Marr, who's 
the victim or one of the victims in this case. If you Google him, you'll see which photo I'm talking about and I'll post it on the Instagram. He's in a white quarter zip. He has a subtle smile. And I think it stood out to me because he's basically just your typical college kid from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so he looked like every other college kid that I went to school with. And, you know, when things happen in your neck of the woods, they become more real. They feel more close to home. They're more eerie. And so this case, looking into Zach's case, led me down this deep dark rabbit hole back in 2016 that i honestly wish i never found because if it's true if this theory is true it's quite terrifying oh okay i'm excited so zachary marr was 22 years old from harvard massachusetts and he attended mount wachusett community college where he was taking five classes and doing very well in school He was also working full-time at Quiet Logistics, which is a shipping fulfillment company or a center for high-end fashion brands to ship out their goods. And Zach had just been promoted for overall just being a really great employee, showing up on time, being kind, getting his work done. On the night of February 12th, 2016. Oh, day before my birthday. I thought you didn't want them to know your birthday. Well, they already know everything, so... (laughs) Everybody has to wish Chase a happy birthday on February 13th because he... Is like so scared of everyone knowing his birthday, so I just want everyone to wish my personal info. <laughs> but they're not going to hack your identity. Who knows? <sighs> we make a po- podcast about crime, about weirdos. I'm teaching you. Uh, congratulations, you've uncovered the code. I'm teaching you all how to hack Chase's identity. Yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Appreciate all of you. So on the night of February 12, 2016, which was a Friday, Zach was out at the Bell and Hand Tavern with his friends and a few family members, so some cousins, to celebrate his birthday. According to a family member, they had taken the train in and they were not very familiar with Boston since they were from the Lemonster area. And Lemonster is a town that's more west central from Boston, so it's really not near Boston. It's not some town that you'd be popping in and out of Boston to like frequently zach's cousin amanda picked them up from the train station around 6 p.m and brought them back to her apartment in the south end aka southie if you're southie if you're a bostonian and they had dinner and got ready to go out for the night so they get to the bell and hand tavern at about 10 p.m and then for those of you that don't know boston the bell and hand is a really popular bar for college kids it always has really good music it has cheap drinks it's always wicked busy it's really just a good vibe for young people like it's it's a pretty fun bar if you're in the boston area and you're going out at night that's usually where people will either start their night or end their night or just kind of pop in and out then at about 1 30 a.m so now we're into saturday the 13th chase's birthday what, what zach texted his cousin amanda that he was going outside for a cigarette which he'd done several times already that night and also It was documented to be the coldest weekend of that year. So he went outside into nine degree weather. Oh my God. And he didn't grab his coat due to coat check. Because if you took your coat away from coat check and then you came back inside, you'd have to repay them to take it back. Mm -hmm. So he was like, honestly, I'm literally just going out for one cigarette. So he just went outside in his blue hoodie, jeans and black sneakers. Also, too, when you're drinking, you're kind of, you have a liquor jacket on. Well, yeah, I, I've known many of people who just go outside and smoke a quick cigarette yeah. and, and then come back in. Which is one of the reasons why it's so dangerous. Now, I've never get... been in a place where my friends were like, yeah, I'm going to go pop a cig and it's seven degrees outside. I'd be like, no, but you people up north are weird. So. See, like, I wouldn't find that. I'd be like, okay. That's way too cold. There's so when, when I went to college, I went to Southern New Hampshire University we it was like four degrees and we were like we don't need a jacket we're literally just walking across campus because you didn't want to bring your jacket to the party so you take a your yeah but your jacket's different than my my jacket yeah yeah chase is like it's it's hard because he grew up down south like like we have like full-on parkas that like go down to our knees four degrees right so like you're like i'm not taking that to the party so you'd wear your liquor jacket (laughs) then you'd go out so then at 1.41 a.m., Zach's cousin Amanda got a Snapchat from Zach saying, quote, they're not letting me back in. Let's leave. And surveillance from Public Market across the street from the bar has Zach standing there at 1.40 a.m., so only a minute before that Snapchat was sent. I don't know if Zach wanted to walk across the street to smoke a cigarette or if he was told by the bouncer to like get away from the entrance of the bell in hand to smoke, but he's on surveillance at the establishment across the street from the bar, just standing there with his hands in his pockets like he's waiting for his friends Mm -hmm. to come out. Surveillance footage then has him standing there until 1.44 a.m., And then he walks away. It doesn't say if he went right or if he went left or straight back across the street, but he walks out of view of public market. Okay. In response to Zach's Snapchat, 
Amanda responded asking where Zach was, and he told her he was waiting out front. And that was when Amanda heard that it was last call at the bar anyway. So they were like, honestly, we have to leave. Like, let's just wrap it up and go. By 1.51 a.m., Amanda and the rest of their group had made their way outside, but Zach was nowhere to be found. So this is 10 minutes later after he sent the yeah, Snapchat. It definitely, and it also takes a lot of time to, to get round a bunch up your of drunk troops. people and close out tabs and grab jackets. Yep. Like, that's not a long, that's not no. an easy process. Now, Bell and Hand came out and said that Zach never tried to get back into the bar, and they provided surveillance footage which backed that up. So I think that Zach was just ready to leave and head back and go home, but no one ever mentioned that he was heavily intoxicated or too drunk to get back in. And all of the surveillance footage, he's really just standing pretty calmly. He's not swaying. He doesn't seem disoriented. Nobody in the bar said that he'd had a lot to drink. So I don't think, nor can I confirm or not confirm that excessive drinking played a part here. The restaurant also provided footage of people being let back into the bar around 1.20 and 1.30, and they said that they never would would have denied Zach entrance into the bar knowing that his friends were in there. Yeah. Okay. They also said and provided footage of Zach walking toward the surface artery, which is a bus station, and it's about a 17-minute walk, and it's not near the Charles River. It's headed in the opposite direction of the Charles River. So Zach was not walking in the direction so towards a body wrong. of water. Yeah. He also walked 17 minutes away which is kind of a long walk when you're by yourself yeah and when you're by yourself and not from boston you're just kind of you're walking a mile in a wrong direction yep in the middle of a big city the boston globe came out and said that they have footage of zach walking underneath an overpass beneath the zakem bridge and eventually disappearing out of sight it is a little strange though that like if your friends are coming out you just wander off and you just start wandering off like in a weird direction mm-hmm. without even like, and obviously he was on his phone. So he could have been like, Hey, I'm going this way. But he just starts, maybe got pissed off at him. I don't know. But 10 minutes isn't really a long time to wait for people to like get out Unless of the bar. Unless you're cold and you're irritated yeah. and you're drunk and you're tired and you want to go home. So the Zakem bridge is in the opposite direction of where Zach was walking to. So he would have had to walk the 17 minutes to surface, surface artery, turn around and then walk 35 minutes to the Zakem bridge. And the Zakem Bridge does run over the Charles River. Okay. If I don't know if everyone on here is listening from Massachusetts. I know a lot of people aren't, but I know a lot of people that requested this. The Zakem Bridge is that really big, tall bridge that has those two arches. I'm showing Chase what it looks like because you're coming into Boston, so you'll yeah, know. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It has two like really triangular. Charleston. Yeah. That big, long bridge with the poles, it lights up, and the Charles River runs underneath the bridge. Okay. At 5.45 p.m. on March 15th, so a, a month, month later, yeah. 2016, two passerby spotted a body in the Charles River near Paul Revere Park. And unfortunately, that body was identified as Zachary Marr. Hmm. Okay. Preliminary evidence indicated that Zach's death was consistent with a fall into extremely so, cold so water. Th- I mean, so he was reported missing for a month. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Like, people had been looking for him. Yeah, yeah, they had been looking for him. Okay. They looked in the water for him. They looked around the city for him. Yeah, okay. Preliminary evidence indicated that Zach's death was consistent with a fall into extremely cold water, and the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office later added that he did not appear to have suffered any trauma, but investigators have not, to this day, announced an official cause of death. And Amanda, Zach's cousin, stated that he only had a few drinks that night, but nothing crazy and nothing out of the ordinary, and he seemed fine. He wasn't belligerent. He wasn't sloppy. He wasn't fumbling. He was the same as any other night that he'd be out with friends getting some casual drinks. I mean, yeah, I, I can totally understand all of that. Then it just doesn't explain why he decided to just start walking right away. So Zach's case led me into the conspiracy theory, and it's a conspiracy theory because it hasn't been proven true that there are a group of killers or a serial killer known as the smiley face killer. So the reason I started with Zach's case is because I remember I was a sophomore in college or a junior in college when this happened, and his photo was plastered everywhere. I just said that with the thickest Boston accent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The photo of... The photo of the white quarter zip and he's smiling and every time I saw that photo my heart kind of sank because he's just a Boston kid who's out with Boston people and like doing his thing and at the bars that I've been to and my friends have been to and then all of a sudden you wind up in the river and I made it a point to keep up with Zach's case but that's when the rabbit hole of the smiley face killer theory was really opened up. 
So the smiley face killers are believed to be a group of killers who target college age, educated white men and hold them hostage or kidnapped for a period of time. And then these victims always show up dead in a body of water. This group is known as the smiley face killers because at almost every single one of these deaths, there's been a graffiti that has a smiley face near or next to the crime scene. To date, the four retired investigators who are working this case believe that there are over 300 to 400 drowning victims what around the country that fit the mo and have become a victim of the smiley face killers whoa so it's like a group of kit like yeah killers? it's like a network oh god okay so i want to run through a few of these victims and give you all the facts and the details and then you guys can come to your own conclusions but the reason i covered josh gimmon's death before this is because there is a his death does align with the theory the only difference is the bodies of the smiley face killers are always found josh's body was never found but the other two bodies that happened and disappeared recently around the time of josh's disappearance those are believed to be smiley face killer victims and who knows i mean they could have tried to let they probably maybe if if josh was in a body of water right he could easily if uh, storm wind animal something knocked him off course i mean he gets thrown back in the water he probably he could have just drifted Mm -hmm. or they thought maybe they put him in a spot that people would find him and they just haven't yet right and with like evidence and everything in these cases the detectives did a really good job because there's an oxygen series i'll link it below they run through like 10 different cases and they tell you about how far bodies drift and what happens to bodies in body of water and like once you hear all that you're like there's no way these kids drowned and none of these people none of their cause of death was drowning yeah so i mean it it definitely is yeah yeah it definitely makes it crazy So we'll share evidence and everything that we know about a few of these cases. And then at the end, we'll placate our own theories on what we think is happening with these cases. But it is important to remember that this is all speculation and that this is still a conspiracy theory. I have some theories that I've come up with and some theories that I found via Reddit. And I'm 110% certain that finding and reading them actually spiked my blood pressure up a couple (laughs) notches. But I'm definitely not going to be walking the streets of Boston the same again, but it's fine. It's all good. So to start, we're going to go all the way back to the 23 degree night of February 16th, 1997. Patrick McNeil was a junior at Fordham College in New York City, and Patrick was studying and working hard to graduate and join the FBI, and his professors even praised his schoolwork. His friends described him as a real ladies' man and added that they would always be joking around with him about his clothes and his looks and how he always had to be perfect, but he always took it lightly and was always up for a good time, and everybody wanted to be around him because he was the life of the party. So the night of February 16th, 1997, Patrick and his friends decided to head out to a bar on Manhattan's Upper East Side known as the Dapper Dog. This was a very popular bar for the Fordham students to go and hang out at and party at, so it was definitely a vibe, a lot like the bell in hand. Obviously, a lot of people are around their college age, so it's not really just some random bar. A little while later into the night, past midnight, Patrick had gone to the bathroom to throw up because he'd said he'd had too much to drink. Been there, done that, so no shame. But after he got sick, Patrick went and told his friends that he was going to go take the subway back to his dorm or his apartment. And one of his friends told him, no, like, I'll head back with you. She just needed to grab her jacket or her bag See, and that's close out her tab. the part about going to school in a big city. Like, yeah. yeah, let me just get be blackout drunk and let me go mm-hmm. home, get on the subway and head home. It doesn't say specifically what she was going to do, but she told him, hey, I'll meet you outside. I just have to do something quick. So... Patrick goes outside and she had only been inside for like two or three minutes. But after a few minutes, when she didn't come out, Patrick started to head towards the subway by himself. Bystanders did say that he was stumbling and definitely walking like he'd had too much to drink. But they also said that he was being followed by a van that was double parked behind the bar. They said that it was slowly and closely following behind him as he walked. And when he turned onto East 90th Street, so did the van. After that, no one saw Patrick again. Oh, God. So after a month of friends and family and police searching the city high and low for Patrick, his body was found floating next to a Brooklyn pier in the East River. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy ruled the death as, quote, undetermined, which is strange because you'd think floating in a river dead that the cause of death would be drowning. uh, Patrick's blood alcohol level was 0.16, so twice the legal limit. NYPD believed that Patrick left the bar, stumbled towards the East River, and fell in, and then ultimately drowned. But, 
cue in New York detective Kevin Gannon, who's Boom. Kevin, who's now, re- who's now retired. He was one of the leading investigators on Patrick's case. From the get-go, Kevin was not convinced that Patrick's cause of death was drunkenly stumbling into the East River and drowning. What Kevin Gannon believes is that Patrick was hunted, stalked, abducted, held for a period of time, murdered, and disposed. And here's why. Firstly, in order to get from 90th Street, where Patrick was stumbling around, into the East River, he'd have to cross one of the most busy highways in the New York FDR Drive. And hello, New York is the city that never sleeps, and it's a highway with high metal fences on both sides. Well, yeah, and if you're going to stumble into a river... I'd feel like you'd stumble into traffic first. Stumble into traffic and get hit by Mm -hmm. something because you're not looking. He'd also, in order to get to that highway, have to climb up a 10-foot fence. Then he would have to drunkenly meander across this busy highway, climb another 10-foot fence, and since it's been stated that someone who's completely sober would most likely never be able to make that trek, someone who's completely inebriated is in no way going to do that, let alone successfully. No. When you're also drunk, you look for an easy route. Yes. You're like, oh, hell no, I'm not climbing that fence. Well, it's just like, and there, yeah, there's no point for, yeah, if I was hammered drunk and I see a fence that I have to put 10 feet up, I'm yeah. going to be like, absolutely no way. I'm turning around. <laughs> like, that's so stupid. Mm-hmm. On top of that, once Kevin Gannon took a more detailed look into Patrick's autopsy, he found that prior to his death and being placed in the river, evidence showed that Patrick had been bound and burned. His head and torso had signs of being torched and severely burned. He also had rope-like burns and marks around his neck. Oh my god. There was also fly larvae on Patrick's body. Flies do not lay eggs in cold temperature. And remember, it's 23 degrees that night. Lastly, Patrick's body was found lying face up in the river. Now when a person's drowning, and they do a really good job of showing you this in the documentary, the position that their body gets into is typically face down as they're trying to use their arms and legs to leverage their mouth above the water, which is then in turn actually cause your hips to bend forward in a way that would make you face down. Mm -hmm. Obviously... anything can happen for a number of reasons where you're turned face up but it is strange that when a body's face up that's when investigators are like "Mm, not really sure if that's a drowning there was also and if you get queasy maybe skip 10 to 15 seconds kevin noted that there was a severe lack of slippage slippage is that it shows that his body was only in the water of couple days mind you he'd been missing for two months His body also showed that he died face down on a hard surface as that's where his blood had settled. Here's where things get really crazy though. It was later discussed that Patrick had only been served two or three drinks that night at the bar, which then raised the question to Detective Kevin Gannon. Drugs. How does a six foot tall former football player who's a pretty social drinker get so inherently wasted on two or three drinks and stumble home that he can't even keep himself up? There's only one way, and Chase said it. Patrick had to have been drugged. He was slipped a Mickey, which is what the police call it, in order to make it appear that he was extremely intoxicated, but he'd been like roofied or Mickeyed and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just had something in his drink that made him go. Mm -hmm. Kevin believed that this drug had to have been some sort of date rape drug, either Rohypnol or GHB, which are both colorless and tasteless. These drugs cause impaired speech, impaired muscle coordination, blackouts, and amnesia, which, if mixed with alcohol, can quadruple these effects and can even lead to death. These drugs are almost untraceable and undetectable, even in an autopsy. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I explained. Like, only three drinks would be a little confusing. Mm -hmm. Especially for a kid who's in college who's actually six feet tall, like, goes out drinking quite a bit with his friends, two, two to three drinks, and he's completely uh, like and people said stumbling home yeah people yeah. said swaying stumbling couldn't slurring words couldn't form speech like and that's probably why he walked off after two minutes yeah. he probably got it's just his brain's going crazy yep following this kevin gannon requested a lawman search of the suspected van as they did have half of the license plate from eyewitnesses but his request however was declined by the department as they said it was too costly what? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Police officers just like, nope, suicide, bye. It was $1,200. Oh my God. Like, as a taxpayer, you can take my $1,200 to investigate a murder. Well, I'd also like to know where it went to. Right? 
Because like, what's more important? If those cops are getting bonuses for what? Right, and they probably do. Like it's just so annoying. They just don't want to do paperwork, and mm-hmm. it's like. Ugh. On April sixteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, the medical examiner ruled this case as an accidental drowning, and the case was closed. Kevin Gannon is still actively working this case, along with many other cases with extreme similarities, whether it be causes of death, signs of death, markings, age, race, where they were prior to their death. So, with that. There's a few more cases that we're going to run through, give you our thoughts. Um, I know it's a lot. I know there's a lot of different cases in this. So moving on from the Big Apple, we're going to scoot up a little bit to Casanova, Michigan. This one scares me. Todd Gieb was 22 years old, and on the night of June 11, 2005, Todd was one of 100 people who were going to this party to attend a bonfire slash keg party in the woods. This party was held in a marshy area behind an apple orchard, and there were six miles of hip-high grass. A little after midnight, Todd decided to leave the party and walk towards his cousin's house where he was renting a room. That house wasn't too far away from there. The party was taking place, and he knew the walk very well. So between 12.47 and 12.57 a.m., Todd makes a phone call to his friend that had driven him to the party and told her that he'd, quote, he'd had enough, essentially meaning he'd had enough of the party and wanted to come home and wanted to go home. He then calls her back after hanging up on her, and all he said was, quote, I'm in a field, before the phone call cut off. What the heck? She tried to call him back, but when the phone was answered, all she could hear was either really heavy breathing or really heavy wind, and then the call ended. The phone was then used twice within the next five minutes in in an attempt to try and call the friend back, but was ultimately no longer in use after 12.57 a.m., and neither were his credit cards, and after that, Todd had vanished. That is weird. Like, I mean, it happens. You see it all the time, though. These kids just get drunk Mm -hmm. or something. They're just like, I'm tired of this party. I want to go home. And you stumble off. And instead of just like, they're already ready to go home, they're just like, screw it, I'm leaving. Yeah. And then you end up in a field. The area in which he was believed to have gone missing, including the scene of the party and Obenhall Lake, was thoroughly searched three times. One of those times includes both an aircraft as well as 1,500 volunteers. There was nothing found. People walked along the banks, people looked in the water, the aircraft searched from above. Three weeks later, on July 2nd, 2005, Todd Gieb's body was found in a remote pond near the party. Oh my god. The couple who found the body reported that Todd's body was standing upright in a body of water, and they knew this because they could only see his head and shoulders with his head looking down. Oh my god, yeah, like someone placed him there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An autopsy was done, and a blood alcohol level of 0.12... Todd's death was ruled an accidental drowning. Again, the manner of death was ruled, quote, undetermined, and the state closed the case. If if it is an accidental drowning, the manner and cause of death would be drowning. Yes. It wouldn't be undetermined. how do you drown and then you're sitting upright again? Right? Who the fuck? How does does someone possibly physically do that? You wouldn't. It's so dumb. It's like, all right, I just don't want to deal with the paperwork. Uh He's dead. And an officer told Todd's mother, Kathy, that they believed that Todd had gone for a swim, but Todd was found fully clothed with his wallet in his pocket. So yeah, who, who would go who swimming? Goes swimming and fully clothed stuff? And it's like, screw my wallet. Right. I don't care how drunk I am. I've never been like, fuck everything. I'm just going to jump into this pond. Like, no, I want my phone and my wallet right? and my money. Like, in, 2000, in 2009, Todd Gieb's autopsy photos were re-reviewed by Dr. Michael Sick. Sigarica, <laughs> and he found that though Todd had been missing for three weeks, his decomposition and state of body showed that he couldn't have been dead for more than between two and five days. Hmm. He also found that there was absolutely no water in his lungs, meaning that he didn't die from drowning. He was dead prior to ever going in the water. Like at this point, it's almost like the police are purposely like not right caring. It's, they're like adding to it. Yeah, like they want to not help. Lastly, the weirdest thing of this whole case is that when Todd Gieb's original autopsy was performed, there was evidence of not one, but two antidepressants in his system at the time of death, amitriptyline and desipramine. (laughs) I don't know why they make them so hard. Amitriptyline and desipramine. 
pramamine. Todd was never prescribed either of those two medications and no doctor would have ever prescribed those two medications together as the combination of these two medications is widely known to cause hallucinations, confusion, agitation, cardiac arrest, coma, and seizures. Due to this, it is believed that somebody had drugged Todd against his will. To this day, Todd's case had not been reopened, but since the airing of Oxygen's Smiley Face Killer series, there has been significant popularity in fighting for the case to be reopened and be reviewed as a homicide. I just don't think it's that much to ask. No. Like, every sign is pointing to not what you the police are saying. Like, oh. just take the two seconds to look at it. Like, how does that... I don't understand. Like, what convincing does it need to be like, okay... He didn't drown. We have all the evidence mm-hmm. for that. Open the case back up. Well, the other thing was like Todd's friends have come out and been like, Todd wasn't one to use party drugs. People also don't use antidepressants as party drugs. That's the thing is like police are always so quick to be like, oh, he's doing party drugs. Nobody's taking antidepressants as a party drug. A party drug is like Coke and LSD and like. But my, I, even if they're okay, even if they are doing drugs, like fine, they're doing drugs. But the signs of his death aren't pointing right. to that. So it's like if he didn't drown. Then why does the drugs matter? Right, right. So jumping from Michigan, we're going to go down to the windy city of Chicago. Brian Welzine was 21 years old and attended Northern Illinois University as a finance major and an honor student. He played soccer in college. He worked out. He ate healthy. He was very self-conscious about his body and just really liked to be into health and fitness. He was five foot eight, 165 pounds, and his mom said that he was very easygoing and he really enjoyed being around people. He was not at all a drinker. He hardly ever drank alcohol. On December 31st, 1999, Brian went out with a group of friends in Chicago to celebrate New Year's. Brian was from Indiana and he had been to Chicago before, but he wasn't familiar with the Chicago city really. It's also impressive how fast these people will come into these towns and they're like not used to it and they Mm -hmm. somehow already know this. Right. It's like pretty crazy. They went to the Irish Eyes bar and according to Brian's friend Nick, Brian had only had one or two Long Island iced teas and throughout the night he became more out of sorts than the rest of the group. He was mentioning how he wanted to go home, how he was getting really bad anxiety, and how he really just wanted to leave the bar. And then, as they began to leave the bar, Nick stated that Brian became jello-like, and he was not able to hold himself up. This is after two or three Long Island iced teas, which yeah. is not a strong drink. No, it like, definitely, it's definitely just it points to all signs of drugs. Yeah. yeah, someone popped something in his drink. So they left the bar, and they went back to the hotel around 3 a.m., and this is where Brian started to get violently ill. And according to friends, the doorman of the hotel that they were staying at, which was the Ambassador Hotel, he was throwing up in the back of the car and then all over the side of the car when he got out at the hotel. And that that's what the doorman of the hotel said, is that that's what he witnessed, is, was Brian getting sick in the back seat on the side of the car. When Brian tried to go upstairs with his friend, the doorman told him that he couldn't come in that sick. I, I'm not going to get into Why? that, but like, I don't know where you wanted him to go. He's staying at the hotel. It's better that he gets sick in his in room. His room. But like, yeah. There's a bathroom. With his friends obviously helping him. him. Yeah. What an idiot. So then his friends went up without him. Oh, everyone's just being idiots. Where is this? New York? No, Chicago. Chicago. Don't go to yeah. Chicago. His best friend, Nick, had actually stayed out a little longer at the bar and then he came back and realized that Brian wasn't in the room. So Nick didn't know that the other friends left Brian outside. So when Nick comes back, he sees that Brian isn't in the room and he's like, oh, well, where's Brian? And his friend said, well, we left him outside. So Nick runs out to go get Brian, but Brian's gone. Of course he is. Why would y'all do that? So at this point, Brian was missing and he stayed missing for 77 days. Yeah, because, like, oh my god, y'all are so stupid. Who leaves their awfully sick drunk friend outside Chicago by themselves? Mm -hmm. On March 18th, 2000, Brian's body was discovered on the shore of Lake Michigan in Gary, Indiana. Oh my god. Which is 30 miles away from where he went missing in Chicago. The detective who found Brian said that in his 29 years, someone who's disappeared in the water in Chicago has never washed up on that beach before. He noted that Brian had chunks of hair missing, he had sand all over his face and body, and that he had slight to moderate decomposition, which means that he was still in the very early stages of the decomposition process. That's so sad. When asked if Brian's body was a body that looked like it had been dead for 77 days, he said, absolutely not. 
It was a fresh body that looked like it had been dead for severely under a week. The detective on this case said that when he saw the body, he had a really weird and bad feeling about what happened. In the Oxygen series, the detectives actually did a really good job of showing this entire crime scene. They basically walk the path that Brian would have to walk in order to wind up in that lake. And just like Patrick's in New York City, it's literally impossible. He would have to cross a busy highway of 10 lanes of traffic, hop a giant metal fence in the middle of those 10 lanes of traffic, when in reality, there was a pedestrian tunnel, but it was miles up from where Brian would have crossed the highway, and it's highly unlikely that someone in Brian's state would go searching for a pedestrian tunnel. And again, this kid's not familiar with Chicago, so he probably doesn't even know that there's a pedestrian tunnel. Well, also, I mean, okay, so, I mean, yes, all that, but it's like, okay, so did he sit around for 77 days and then jump into the water? Right. (laughs) Like, if if his body's not showing any type of decomposition for what 77 days of water would do to it, then Mm -hmm. I... Yes, there's there's absolutely no way he jumped in the water. No. Another interesting fact that was learned from this series is that majority of bodies that fall or are dumped into the water are found within 50 feet of where they go into the water. Bodies don't actually move as much as people think that they do because of the irregular shape of a human body. Basically, with the limbs, they would get caught on something or they would drift towards something and then get stuck on it. And they also did a test with a dummy doll in a tracking device. In order for Brian to get from Chicago to Gary, Indiana, it would only take him 36 hours. And that's if he didn't get caught on anything, if he didn't get caught in any tides or stuck on any of the docks or float towards other shores. 36 hours is significantly less than 77 days. And the way the dummy doll floated, it got stuck on different things. So it's just basically impossible that Brian would wind up on that shore. Yeah, no, it's he was definitely put there. Yep. An autopsy was done on Brian. However, they didn't test for GHB or other date rape drugs or any drugs. His blood alcohol level was 0.084, so he was barely over the legal limit, which then again goes to show that his blood alcohol content wasn't what brought on that violent sickness. There was also little to no sand inside the body, which would be odd for having been in the water for 77 days, and his lungs and other organs were all well-preserved and not heavily damaged or decomposed, and there was no water in his lungs. Yeah, no. Someone's taking these kids for... Yeah. Capturing him, kidnapping him, kidnapping him for months. And, and then, since they're not, since they're ruling them as accidental drownings, they're not checking for sexual. Uh, uh, yeah, it's because they just like all these people are being lazy. It's mm-hmm. so not, it's so annoying. When Kevin Gannon took a look at this case and all the evidence that came with it, he said that it pointed more towards someone killing Brian, driving him to this location, dragging him down to the beach, and placing him at the shore's end. Yeah, Brian too also had sand up in his nose and all over his face, which made it look like somebody dragged him face down towards the water. like by their legs. By the legs. There were also smiley faces found at Brian's crime scene or the bar, but they are not revealing where or how or when because they don't want to compromise the investigation. They always say that shit. They're, they're doing that, though, with all of these with the smiley faces. Like, if there's photos of them, we'll post them. But they're not telling where or what because they're trying to keep that pattern secret. Now, we're going to hop over to Pennsylvania. And I tried to pick a case from each state to really show just kind of how wide this thing spans. And then show the similarities across a bunch of different states. Tommy Booth was 24 years old from um, Wilmington, Pennsylvania. And he was a drywall finisher. On the night of January 19th, 2008... Tommy went out to a bar with his friends and they went to Bootlegger's nightclub in the Ridley Township. He arrived to the bar with his friends, but no one ever saw him leave. For the next two weeks, family, friends, employees, anyone of the bar and the local police department searched for Tommy. There was a creek located a little bit behind the bar and I couldn't find the exact distance, but the bar almost reminded me of one of those beach bars, but in the woods, if that makes sense. So like, you know, from the beach bar, you can see like the water. Mm-hmm. It looked like the woods and then the creek. Yeah. That's what okay. it looked like. So from the back, it had a wooden porch with stairs leading down to pavement. And then there was maybe two, 20 to 30 feet of woods and then the creek. Everybody had been searching all around that area, even quite a bit up and down both ways of the creek, but nothing of Tommy was ever found. Two weeks after his disappearance, Tommy Booth was found at the edge of Ridley Creek about 30 yards away from bootleggers back door oh my god 
Now, police believe that he was not found in the initial search because the creek had frozen after he'd fallen in and then a warm spell melted the ice and then his body surfaced. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's got to be just so eerie. Tommy was found with his wallet, credit cards, and cash and was fully dressed. There were no obvious signs of trauma to the body and the medical examiner ruled the death of a probable drowning. At the time of his death, the medical examiner found that Tommy did have a small amount of Xanax in his system, but it was consistent with a prescription that he has that he had, and his blood alcohol content was 0.2. And authorities said that he, it was not a high enough amount to make him incoherent. No, now, he knows he's he's experienced with. Obviously, if he's prescribed in, like what was it Xanax? And Xanax. Yeah, I feel like if you're prescribed that, you know exactly how to use it and what you're using it for, and mm-hmm. like not to be stupid with it. Mm -hmm. Tommy's mom, Barbara, told investigators that she was very confused why he was near the water at all because he was actually very scared of the water and never liked the water, let alone in the freezing cold in January. This is where things get really weird. Tommy was found face down at the edge of the creek and above his head and next to his torso, there was a drag mark in the soil. Hmm, Okay. There were also shoe prints on either side of Tommy. The drag mark, and if you Google this case, you'll see a photo of the body. It's basically an indent in the sand of what looks like his head of somebody was dragging him down, basically by the ankles, and then laying him on the sand and then standing next to his body. The shoe prints also didn't match Tommy. Yeah, that's very, ugh. Also, yeah, I mean, like, I just don't know why everyone's being like, yep, it's a drowning, it's a drowning, when there's, Mm -hmm. like, so many signs that point to, like, if you just take the extra 10 minutes. Right. Like, it's just as weird, and it's sad. And it's, you know how, like, angry I would be if my son, who passed away, was only 30 yards away from that building? Mm Mm-hmm. So, in the Oxygen series, a close family friend of Tommy's had actually gone out and walked Ridley Creek less than 24 hours from when the body was found. He goes on to talk about how he walked about five feet or so from the shore to where he could get that close, and then he walked the exact location. Tommy's body wasn't there. Going off of that, there is further evidence that suggests Tommy was not a drowning victim. Scott Roeder, who's a crime scene reconstruction specialist, stated, quote, If you are in the water for 14 and a half days, and you are in fact a drowning victim, I think the body would have a much different appearance than Tommy Boots. You would, have, you would see excessive bloating, skin slippage, and we don't see any of that here with Tommy. There was also fixed lividity on the posterior of Tommy's body, which says that he actually died laying on his back on a hard surface for a substantial period of time. He was found face down on the edge of the water on a bank of sand. Yeah, my, I'm just like, I'm going back to if we can't keep just being like, he walked and wandered near the water and died. That's not making sense. If he's Mm -hmm. been missing for days or missing for weeks or missing for months, there's Mm -hmm. no physical way that these people are just drowning and sitting there and being preserved by who knows what every single time. Yep. Ah. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like, okay, that's, it's not, it shouldn't even be talked about. It wasn't a drowning. He was just found near a body of water. That's what it should be. Mm -hmm. So annoying. Rigor mortis sets in around eight to 10 hours after death and stays for only approximately 10 hours before it subsides. Rigor mortis was discovered in parts of Tommy's remains when he was found. So the time of death could not have been two weeks prior. No, couldn't. There's no shot. Local law enforcement came out and basically tried to say that with their theory of how Tommy had frozen in the lake and then thought out that rigor mortis had basically happened and then paused and then continued once he thought out. But Scott Roeder said that's not true because that's not how organs and temperature and all of those different things work. It doesn't matter where you die or how you die or when you die. Rigor mortis will set in and then last that 8 to 10 hours and then go away. Yeah. Lastly, one of the investigators got word of this conspiracy theory in 2015. So seven years after this case had closed and he actually went back to the bar and the crime scene to see if he could find any smiley cases that would link this. And he actually found a smiley face on the wall of the bar underneath the deck. It was painted over, so somebody tried to cover it, but Ooh, it, but it but was why? there. But why? Why they painted over yeah, it? Yeah, like who's trying know. to paint it over? Why don't we ask that? So he basically went to the bar, looked under the deck, and he saw that it was painted over, and he was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, I think I see something. And then he went home and looked at evidence photos, and he could see the smiley face. Oh my on the God, wall. that's so yeah, creepy. That's crazy. But then who, but who's trying to cover that up? exactly like because it wouldn't be the killer 
Or could he it? wants it. He, but that's his signature, the smiley face killer. But I'm going to get into one of the theories that people think that you might be like, oh. Oh, oh. okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. People who are protecting their own. Oh. To this day, Tommy Booth's case has not been reopened, but Kevin Gannon and his team brought a lot of popularity towards it, and the rigor mortis strongly suggests that there was foul play. So now, I know I only talked about one of the Boston ones. There are a few more that are very interesting. There was one, um, I can go into it more in depth, but basically this kid who was in his early 20s went out to a Celtics game with coworkers. Mm-hmm. The coworkers had asked him twice to go out to the games and he said no because he wasn't a big drinker. He wanted to just go home and hang out with his girlfriend. Oh, this is sad. Yeah. So he ends up going out to the game and he calls his girlfriend and he's like, hey, can you come pick me up? I don't really want to stay for the rest of the game. She calls back and she's like, yeah, I'm two minutes away. In that two minutes, he was gone. No. Disappeared. He was, fa- he fa- he was found a month later in the Charles River. His phone was smashed. And he wasn't drinking at night. That's where, that's the sad thing about me. It's like, if this is really is like a group of people, how the hell are they finding the people that are like going out by themselves for one last moment or getting out of the bar to like go home? It's just weird. So people think that it's people targeting specific people and then watching them all night and that it's a group of people that are working together. Like one person's handing the drink, one person, the other thing is. Like, we're going to get into all these theories. People think that it's women. Whoa. Because guys will trust it's women. It's a lot less. Yeah, you, it's a lot less. more like with And if you're a and single guy, yeah. you use like, and you think, it, and it's a pretty girl, you're girl's like, like hey, yeah. Girl's like, come here. Come yeah. over here. Or meet me here. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into some theories. I'll do another one of these if you want with a few more. Like I said, there's like 400 different cases we could walk through. So before I share, let's discuss some tidbits about the case that I want you to just think about throughout this. All of these guys are very similar in their look and build. All of their ages range between 21 and 26. Another similarity in all of these cases that I actually purposely left out because I wanted to see if anyone would pick up on it. All of these guys were found with their wallets, fully clothed, but not a single one of these guys was found with their cell phone. Hmm. Well, that makes sense on like not making, so you can't see who's texting right. or something. But that's where I'm like, man, it is so glad technology is, is what it is today. Because now if my friends started to leave the bar, I'd just be like, oh, find my friends. Where mm-hmm. are you at? Boy, get your ass back here. Yep. All of these men were either out at a bar, out at a sporting event, or just out for drinks with some friends, but were at a location where there was alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it's they, there's if it, it is a group, they are working very fast and very good and very thorough and mm-hmm. quick. But then it's like, oh, it's so sad. Because then it's, it's like, oh, you can't, you, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want kids because it's like, my God, you can't take them anywhere nowadays. Mm-hmm. So the theories, the first theory, this is the one of the most strongly believed, is that it's a woman. A woman is easy to lure a young guy away from his group. A, a woman is... You know, somebody who a guy is going to trust out at a bar if she's young and and drinking. Not threatening. So people think that it's an attractive female or a group of females around the same ages of these men. The reason being is that there's no signs of struggle. There's no signs of fighting back. And basically people think when they walk away, when they walk out of surveillance, are they walking to go towards a woman who's going, hey, can you come over here? Like your your guard goes down. Well, especially I will say probably... 99% 99% of the time, it is if a guy comes up to a girl at a bar and hands a drink, they're, they'll, it's suspicious. But if a girl comes up to a guy and says, here, I got you a beer. Yeah. Guys are like, hell yeah. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen to guys. Mm-hmm. We're not used to that. Nope. So people also think that this could possibly be a woman who's pulling a Ted Bundy and asking men for help. Because how Ted Bundy would yeah. do that, he would, be like, he, he would put the cast on his arm. And ask for help with his groceries. And then when they would lean in the car, he'd push the women in the car. So people also think, could this be a woman who travels for work? Hence all the different locations of these men. Oh my gosh. So she goes to her different cities and she finds these guys and hits one at each city, which is why nobody's able to track her. The only thing I'm going to say about a woman is if it is a woman, I, I do not think she's working alone. There's no way because a woman, if she's work, if this woman's working by herself, she either has to be ginormously strong, and if she is, people would recognize her at a bar, mm-hmm. because you cannot just drag bodies and capture g- grown men and put drag them and drug them and put them in the back of a van all by yourself all the time. Like there's no way. If it's a woman traveling for work, she's in and out of that city. 
Oh, yeah. She's in for a couple days. She can target her victim, and then then she's she's gone. The other thing, too, is this person's drugging these guys. Yeah. That's an easy way for a woman to get a guy to be, I don't know what the word is, like, easy to... No, like there's no struggle with that. Yes, because it's to them it's much easier. A guy, a a man trying to kidnap a woman is normally like you you threaten them, them, you grab them, you tape them up, you bond them up, you you physically you have physical dominance over men. Mm -hmm. A woman doesn't have the physical dominance to grab that man, put him in the back of a vehicle. So for her, when you drug him up, it's so much easier to be like, come on, I can help you. Yep. Or, and they will voluntarily get into a van. Mm-hmm. No, and that's, I, I agree, but there's no way she's working by herself. So if she's not working by herself, what is the benefit for, a, let's say, a, a partner in this? Is it a man or is it another woman? Yep. Because like capturing a man for 77 days and torturing him and messing with him, What's the benefit for the, for the woman or the a, a second a person to be in part? You know? Well, that's the other thing is people say, okay, well, if it's a woman traveling for work, where is she keeping these grown men for 77 days, right? for two weeks, for three weeks? Like these guys are being held somewhere alive. Oh Yeah, for that's yeah. So it's like, oh, it's weird. So it's weird. The oh. third theory, like you said, it's a man and a woman, yep. a, ma- a woman luring the guy a woman working with the guy, maybe flirting with him all night. And then in turn, once he's inebriated and he's completely out of it and disoriented, yeah. then the man, man I mean, this in. could easily be some sort of weird married fantasy sex thing. Like mm-hmm. it could be just like a fetish to have these kidnap, these young, good looking college kids, bring them back, do what you want with them. And then there's like, there's no way you, you can just let them back in society. So you have to kill them mm-hmm. because yeah, because there's no way they're going to be like, okay, we got our sex fantasy off. Like we did our thing with this guy. We got to torture, do whatever we wanted with him, but we can't just be like, okay, go back to college now. Don't, t- don't tell anybody. Right. So it's, yeah. Um, the fourth. And like I said, how I was telling you, like, that's what people think is covering up for someone. People think that it's someone in law enforcement, which is why the police rule it so quickly as an accidental drowning. The only issue there is these are happening. Yeah, these are happening everywhere. So many police departments. So either this guy has to be one of the most well-renowned police officers and they're like in every single state. Chicago is backing backing him up. Like you need like four or five different... Like Chicago is not a small police department. You got to have some leeway with the police for them to like literally look up i mean because this is obvious bullshit that they're missing right like for them to look that stupid in these cases and be like you guys are missing so much this guy either has to be so freaking popular well the other thing is like there's there's a there's bad cops out there there's bad everybody out there but there are a hell of a lot more good cops out there that would step in and go i'm not covering for that and the other thing well, good young even like police departments but you're that's, telling yeah, a whole right. police department has to back you has up to back you and don't know you and the other thing is young guys are typically the ones that go into the police force of any background yes. and they're not going to cover for another cop when they go well you're targeting guys like me yeah so no i'm not i'm not covering for you so i don't think it's someone in law enforcement but the fifth theory is that it's a chat room or like an underground ring of people that target like all of these different people but they're in their area like i just got one I just got one. No, I could see that. I either I think it's either a husband or a wife, or it's what you're saying. It's this room. group of like guys who are like, f- like angry at these young college kids. Even angry, or it's like you're trying to fit into the group, so you guys teach each other your ways, yeah. what to look out for, and then they go out, and then they go back in these chat groups, and they talk about what they got yeah. to do, and then it's like this huge like, yeah. oh wow, you did that. Well, I'm gonna go out and do this. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. But then again, it's like okay, but then you have all these men on this chat room or whatever, and it's like, and nothing's been no talked. one's telling, no one said a word. Not some weirdo who's on this chat site gets a little too drunk and tells his other weird buddies about what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. you're telling me nothing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a husband and a wife with a weird sex fantasy, and they've managed to pull this off. The hot, the wife goes in, get, talks to the. Good-looking young college student flirts with him, puts something in his drink, and then yep. gets him to go puts her, puts her phone in his like phone number in his phone and says, "Text me and, and meet me here." Yep. Then the guy, drunk guy's like, "I'm ready to go home. Yep. I'm ready to go home. I'm leaving. I'm trying to go meet up with this chick." Mm-hmm. And then they start to walk away because they're they're like, because mm-hmm. that would make sense too. It's like, no, don't walk home the f- subway by yourself. And right. to the kid, he's like, "Well, fuck, I, I kind of want to get out of here. I don't yeah. want them following me." So it's like they leave. Yeah. Yep. Go to meet up with this girl. They get into the back of a van. They think things are about to go down. And then, boom. And I will end off this by Kevin Gannon's quote of saying, quote, the young men had been drinking. They've then gone missing and they wind up in bodies of water. 
Kevin says the narrative of a, quote, drunk young man makes it very easy for detectives to just write it off as there was no foul play and it was an accidental drowning and then the case is closed. Yeah, no paperwork for yeah. them, no interviews, no long investigations, no money spent on it. The, like, they get to just keep on doing their thing. Yeah, and and Kevin said that who was ever doing this is very smart because they know that they're they're setting it up in a way that police won't look for it. So... I wrote that theory a, a while ago, so I thought I had more Boston in there. But actually, yesterday, I got tagged in a Facebook post. Shout out, Danielle. Thank you for tagging me. That they pulled another young guy's body out of the Boston oh Charles River. God. And she was like, smiley face. And I was like, I'm actually covering that in That's Thursday's so episode. So, I, and then there were a few people that commented on it because it was on Fox 25 News for Boston that were like, wait, yeah. what's this podcast? So I will do another episode specifically on the Boston smiley face killer victims because those are very interesting. Yeah. But I think, too, who's ever doing this lives in the Boston area. Really? Or like near the area. Because if you look at it, okay, he's gone to Pitt. They've gone to Pennsylvania. They've yeah. gone to Chicago. New York. They've gone to New York. But what they're doing is, is like, it seems like. They'll do a crime in they're near their hometown, and then they're like, okay, we got to back off, so we can't do another one here. So they go to Pittsburgh, or they'll go to Chicago, just to get the trail off of them, so then they, when they come home, they can do it close to home again. Yeah. Like, I think they're doing it strategically, to the point of like, okay, well, they're going to pinpoint at someone in this area, and then all of a sudden, someone dies in Chicago. And now they're like... Whoa. I think it's interesting too because Boston's had the most. I That's what I'm that saying. Up. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like they'll go, they'll kill the most in Boston, but to make sure that it's not getting pinpointed in to Boston, Boston they'll yeah. go Chicago, yeah. Pennsylvania, New York. So it keeps the police on their toes being like, it's a chat room. It's yeah. multiple people. Yep. Whoever doing it is super freaking smart mm -hmm. and sad, but I think it's a weird, sexy cult family. Or a, a sexy, sexy cult. cult marriage or people like bonnie and clyde yeah that no yeah 100 percent. so if you're in this demographic just be careful and i know like you guys know this, but like don't take a drink from anyone but then it's hard too because boston recently i talked about this well, also wait for your friends yeah wait for your friends i, I get it it's cold you want to go home your friends are drunk too they're taking too long you don't want to wait you don't want to do it you're just like screw it i'm drunk i'm more I have more confidence in myself that I can get home without my friends. So I'm going to go do it. And I'm, I don't care if I have to wait, wait for your friends. Mm -hmm. You wait two minutes. You don't end up dead in the back of someone's van. Yeah. Two minutes. You, you take the time. You, you you're smart. Mm -hmm. I will like to know about the one from the Boston Celtics game because for him, if yeah. he really did disappear in two minutes, someone had to have taken him outside of out front of the Boston, but out of the Celtic stadium, so, you know how many cameras are around the Celtic stadium? Well, so, okay, that's the thing about this person is all of, a lot of these guys, not all, because all of them, all these places don't have security footage. The one at the Celtics, I'll, I'll make, I'll do this with him because his case has always been the most interesting. I just wanted to share different ones from different states. He's seen, he's on the phone with his girlfriend and she's like, okay, I missed because Boston is it's, it's all tight. one. It's it's tight and it's all one ways because it's all the old horse trails that they just paved over. So if you miss a turn, you're fucked. You have to go up around, go all the way, loop yeah. the lights. Yeah, Chase will see it when he comes. No, up, I'm like, not excited. It's it's like driving in Boston's maddening. But so she was like, "Oh shoot, miss the turn. I'm gonna loop around." He's like, "Okay." They hang up. So she was literally pulling back to him. She pulls up and she calls him. No answer. She's like, where are you? I'm literally right here. He no wasn't answer. drunk or wasn't. No, wasn't drunk. She said that he was completely, that completely might. fine. His phone was found smashed. He had like the envy. So it flipped open. It wasn't just run over by a car. They Somebody like, had crunched crap. it aside like so that it could not be put together. And his body was found. See, like, that's, two that's later. the weird one to me where it's like. Okay, for some reason, if this woman just all of a sudden was having a bad night and just decided to attack this kid, like that's where it doesn't make any sense of it being just a woman. Like, but like, but him, he was seen, and a lot of these guys are seen. They're they're standing there waiting, and all of a sudden they look to someone, and they kind of look like they're talking to somebody, and then they wander off in that direction out of the camera, out of camera view, which makes you think there's somebody going, "Hey, can you help me?" Can, a I, husband can and a wife. You, yeah, uh, hey, yeah. my husband's like. Do not, you have the directions? My to husband's blah, blah, blah. really yeah. drunk. I'm really confused. I'm lost. Yeah. He's the one that always gets me home. Can do you, you know please where help this me? Is? Yeah. And He's then that person drunk. comes over to help you, and then you're no longer in camera, and then they're not seen again. Then they just take you and put you right in the back yeah. of the truck. So I'll add the Boston ones, and we'll do a whole episode on that. But yeah, I wanted to get this out because going off of Josh Gimmons with like disappearing and then winding up 
like them saying, oh, he probably fell in the water. The difference is these bodies were all found like this person wants these guys to be found. No, it's definitely Josh's crazy. body wasn't found. It's a crazy story. Yeah, I think Josh's might be a little more different. I think because of the um, website chats and, yeah. and looking for him exploring and experimenting with his sexuality, I think Makes was more of a was more of the leading kind of theory behind what that yeah. was. Um, cause yeah, I feel like, yes, his body would have been found by a body of water, especially if he died at that bridge. I have no doubt they would have brought him back to that bridge. Yeah. So yeah, I think his was more of towards, he got, he got a little caught up in something online with some yeah. bad people, bad person, which is sad too, but well, anyways, we hope you all have a very Merry Christmas. Ho- hope you enjoyed this murder podcast. Have a very Merry Christmas. It was a cool podcast. It definitely has to make you think. And it's it sad. Does. And make out, look out for your friends, even the guys. Yeah. Guys can die too. So guys can get kidnapped as well. Yeah. And always leave with your buddies. Don't just think you can do something on your own by yourself. You can't. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not when you're drunk. There's no reason to. Like, there's no reason to not just take five minutes and even it's fun walking home with a drunk person. It's fun when you have two drunk people walking home. Because if you make a stupid mistake walking home, they'll probably laugh at you. Like, it's more fun to walk home by, with somebody. And it's more safe. So, like, just wait. Mm-hmm. Wait two minutes. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's nine fucking degrees. Hold each other on the way home. Like, <laughs> my God. You're going to need it. Embrace your friend. Yeah. All right. All right. Be we safe. love you guys so much. Have a very Merry Christmas. And we will see you on Monday when we cover casey anthony oh i know this is gonna be a long two-parter right no i'm doing it one oh. doing it one all right all right well, be safe everybody have you fun can follow us on instagram at crime with a k you can send us an email to crime with a k at gmail.com and with that download merry some podcast every oh, christmas okay it's a happy what is that does it go i have no idea what oh. you're saying well yeah <laughs> i was saying download some podcasts yes and leave us a rating that's really cool to start seeing those come in merry christmas and a happy new year yep bye bye